0: To give Have got no fucks to give I've got no fucks
1: have got no
0: fucks have got no fucks to give.
1: What's up everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, aka the Booch, and welcome to the recap of NXT. And once again, we got a special treat for you guys, as this week, we are doing not one, not two, but three NXT recaps. Now, obviously, uh, Abuchi's work is never done, as I am, um, constantly on the go, which explains why these NXT recaps have been late. Um, also, uh, at the time that I'm recording this, I came back from some, uh, unexpected fuckery. That took place. I won't get into it here on the show. Maybe I'll talk about it on the Variety Show with Elvis when he gets back from Puerto Rico. But um, right now, I just want to get into NXT and uh, get you guys all prepped up for uh, NXT Vengeance Day, which is set to take place uh, next week. So we're going to kick things off with the January 25th episode of NXT And we open this up with a uh, first-round match in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Jacket Time versus MSK. Bullshit. That's all this match was. Bullshit. It was the two worst tag teams in NXT. The two biggest spot monkeys. The two biggest jokes. The two biggest wastes of space as far as tag teams go. That's what this match was. It was a bunch of blah, blah, bullshit. MSK hits their finish on Zero and gets the win. That's all I really have to say about this. This is one of those matches where it doesn't matter who wins, we all lose. So, MSK advances, unfortunately. Next, we cut to a uh, in-range segment with Legado del Fantasma. Santos Escobar says he isn't like anyone else. He isn't going to come out here and make fun of Braun Breaker because of his father, uncle, or his family's poor math skills. Escobar isn't going to blow smoke up Breaker's ass. Escobar isn't intimidated by Breaker. He despises Breaker. Most of all, he hates the fact that Breaker won the NXT Championship before him. Braun Breaker interrupts. Breaker says he thinks Escobar is great, but he's insecure. Breaker tells Escobar to shut up in Spanish and to just make the damn challenge so he can accept. Escobar says he does things on his time. When he is ready, Breaker will know. Escobar goes to leave the ring. While the Mendoza attack Breaker, Breaker clears the ring. I love how they thought they could do that two-on-one assault on uh, Braun Breaker and Breaker wasn't going to break those (laughs) two skinny fucks in half. But um, I like the promo by Escobar. Obviously, once again, they make fun of uh, the Steiner math. Even though I think Scott Steiner has, like, a degree in mathematics uh, from the University of Michigan. So, uh, I think not only is the math accurate, but he's also very, very talented in that field. Which is why that Steiner math promo works so well. But, either way, great promos, great segment. Um, Santos Escobar, definitely a great heel. Braun Breaker coming in as the babyface. And... You know, everything was done exactly the way it needed to be done. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We have a no disqualification, false count, anywhere match. Solo Sequoia versus Boa. This was an awesome fucking match. It was violent, it was insane, and it needed to be. After the double count out... Their next match had to be false count anywhere. If something ends in a double countout and you don't make it false count anywhere, you need to take your booker card out of your wallet and pass it forward. Because you should not be writing or booking any wrestling if your immediate thought after a double countout was the next match needs to be false count anywhere. Now, they also made a notice qualification false count anywhere. Which I thought was weird and a little redundant. Because to my knowledge, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe that False Count Anywhere is automatically no disqualification. Like, that's pretty much a given, you know, with the False Count Anywhere at match. I mean, I uh, especially loved the uh, the Butterfly Suplex on the trash can by Boa. I thought it was great. Uh, Sequoia misses a hip attack and ends up running into a garage door, which was uh kind of painful uh, sequoia sprays bow with a fire extinguisher um it was just great and at the end There's an Uso splash by Sequoia for the win. And in the end, Solo Sequoia defeats Boa, which I believe should have happened because let's be honest, Boa is basically a comedy act. I don't see this gimmick that Boa has being taken seriously. Meanwhile, Sequoia is being taken seriously as a legit badass motherfucker that likes to fight and kill. So I feel like he needed the win the most. And on that note, we'll move on to the next match of the evening, if we want to call it that. Uh, Duke Hudson versus Guru Raj. And the answer is, fuck no, we ain't calling this a match. Hudson's all over Raj. He then pins him after hitting the razor's edge. After the match, Dante Chen tells Hudson that he's going to give him the respect he didn't give him last week. He's coming. Chen rushes the ring and attacks Hudson. Hudson chop blocks Chen. So, basically... Uh, we got another rivalry forming here, Uh, Duke Hudson's really coming into his own as a uh, performer, and I look forward to seeing where this rivalry goes, and on that note, we have a uh, backstage segment from Imperium, a new future, a new age, and uh, apparently Walter is now going by the name Gunther, uh, officially, and they're justifying it by saying that you know Walter was a family name that was given to him by his family, but he wants to forge his own path, so he changed his name to Gunther, and obviously they got rid of the last name, because apparently I think it was like Stark or something, and Gunther Stark was the name of a... uh... You know, I think it was a a Nazi boat captain or something. So um, with that awkward situation and with the stuff that Brian Kendrick's gone through, it was smart for them to just call him Gunther. Personally, this just just stuck with Walter because everybody already prefers that name. But uh, on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We got ourselves some six women tag team action. Uh, Kaylee Ray, Indy Hartwell, and Persia Parada versus Toxic attraction this was a solid fucking match great six-woman tag the women worked very very well together uh toxic attractions an amazing team with amazing chemistry uh kaylee obviously uh doesn't work with indian persia often so she needed a moment to find her footing but eventually they were able to get it together in the end Uh, Parada hits her finish on Dolan for the win. And the winners of the match are Kaylee Ray, Indy Hartwell, and Persia Parada. Which I think is kind of good because it's giving a strong indication that we could see some new women's champions down the road. Like either Mandy's going to lose the women's title or JC Jane and Gigi Dolan are going to lose the tag team titles. So as far as which ladies are going to lose their belts, time will tell. But with them getting this win, you know somebody's dropping a title. Somebody is. It's either going to be Indy and Persia winning the tag belts or Kaylee Ray winning the uh, women's title. That's the only... uh... Those are the only possibilities that I foresee. And, of course, uh, they do a backstage promo about Idris and Malik shocking the world, about how amazing of a tag team they've been. And I'm not going to lie, the chemistry between that team is amazing. I really, really liked what I saw. And I think that uh, we're going to see a lot more positive stuff from them down the road. And then, of course, we cut to um, the gym where... uh, Cora Jade and Raquel Gonzalez were working out. And is still trying to convince Raquel Gonzalez to uh, team up with her in the Dusty Classic. Raquel says she wants nothing to do with Cora. She doesn't think Cora Jade is strong enough to you know, contend with her in the ring. And she thinks that she's going to drop the ball. She thinks she's going to, you know, put things in an awkward situation. She just doesn't see anything positive happening as a result of teaming up with Cora Jade. And Raquel just decides to walk away from it. Although Cora tries to bow up to uh, Raquel and try to slap her, Raquel just grabs her hand and shoos it away, basically letting her know, you know, you're too deli- delicate, I'm not going to hurt you. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening, if we even want to call it that. Uh, the next round of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, Andre Chase and Bodie Haywood versus the Grizzled Young Veterans. And to be honest, we're not gonna call this a match. It was basically a massacre. Uh, Grizzly Young Veterans hit a double code breaker on Hayward and got the one, two, three. After the match, Von Wagner hits the ring and attacks Chase U. Robert Stone gets in the ring and hands Wagner his suit jacket. Stone says Wagner is reinstated and under new management. So now it looks like the Robert Stone brand is getting away from the women's division and is now venturing over to the men's division and he's going to be basically helping out Von Wagner, which I personally think is a smart option because... Uh, With all due respect to Von Wagner, I mean, he's got some decent mic skills, but I feel like he's going to benefit from a manager because I don't think his management, his skills are good enough to really have him stand on his own two feet. I feel like with Robert Stone in his corner, he's going to have much more personality and be able to get over a lot easier, so... And, of course, the Grizzled Young veterans advance to the next round as well they should because they are fucking gifted. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening, if we even want to call it that. Io Shirai versus Tiffany Stratton. And, uh, basically Shirai pinched Stratton after the over-the-moon salt. So, I don't really think a lot of good really happened in this match. It was basically Io Shirai kicking Tiffany Stratton's ass. Which, you know, obviously, you know, I like Tiffany. And I like to see her get, uh, be taken more seriously in the ring. But, obviously they wanted to put Io Shirai over Strong. They always do. So, that was that issue right there. And then, of course, um, Tiffany's so pissed off. She gets in Wendy Chu's face. And knocks out her cup and she goes, hey, that was my free refill. Which I thought was kind of funny because she basically has a gimmick where she's like going to a sleepover all the time. She's trying to relax and just basically everything is going uh, awkward and crazy for her. So I kind of like where this uh, segment's going. And on that note, we cut to uh, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, who introduced Ollie J, who performs her new single. And uh, obviously, Ollie J was trending, uh, not just because of her music, but because of how amazing her tits are. That's literally what everybody was talking about. She has very gifted tits. And then, of course, um, you know, after that, uh, Tony D'Angelo talks about, you know, facing Cameron Grimes and, you know... Becoming the number one contender for the uh, NXT North American Championship. And of course, Tony D'Angelo is always phenomenal on the mic. Love how great he is. And just an all-around badass. So I'm looking forward to that match. And I don't have to wait too long because we jump right into the main event of the evening. The number one contenders match, Cameron Grimes versus Tony D'Angelo. This was a great hard-hitting match. These two brought the fight to each other. And, of course, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams are watching up from up in the crow's nest. Because Carmelo knows the winner of this match is going to face him for the North American Championship at Vengeance Day next week so we know it's going to be a big deal we know it's going to be a big match and god i can't wait to see it it's gonna be fun uh especially with uh grimes hitting the cave in for the win so now we know cameron grimes will be facing carmelo hayes at vengeance day uh but that doesn't mean that tony d'angelo was a slouch in the ring because he was no slouch in the ring he held his own it's just that pete dunn appeared out of nowhere and hit d'angelo's hand with a cricket bat as a receipt for what happened with the crowbar And, obviously, this rivalry is not far from over. It's not. These two are definitely out for blood. They are definitely out for revenge. And uh, it's going to be perfect for vengeance. Like, a lot of these matches are involving people wanting revenge, which is what it should be all about. So, this is a very, very highly entertaining match we're about to witness. Uh, And, of course, by that I mean Vengeance Day. Then, of course, in the parking lot, a Jeep pulls up on um, Braun Breaker. Legado Del Fantasma hops out before they can attack. Tommaso Champa appears and stands with Breaker. So now we know that um, Braun Breaker has some backup in the form of Tommaso Champa. And next week, they're going to take on Legado Del Fantasma in a three-on-two handicap match. And that's going to be awesome, especially since, as uh, you all know, Tommaso Champa is the former NXT champion. And we know at some point Tommaso Champa is going to get called up to the main roster. So... It's going to be intriguing to see how this works and where this goes. Like, can Braun Breaker trust Tommaso Ciampa? Is Ciampa going to be looking to regain the NXT Championship? Or is he finally going to go up to the main roster after he helps Braun Breaker uh, in this feud? So there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered. But I'm sure in the coming weeks... We'll get those answers. So uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, right there will wrap up uh, the recap of NXT for January 25th. Uh, We're going to take a short break here. And when we come back, we will have your recap of NXT from February 1st here on the Boochcast. So you guys sit tight. I shall return right after this. (laughs)
0: Chop up the camp, chop them up While they sleep, I'm stalking At the camp, I'm chopping Kill them dead, my mom is talking Chop them up, a lot of gore. Got my body soaked on the lake floor See, cause that's why I must attack And you'll find out with my old ass
1: And welcome back to the Booch cast. During the break, we played the song Chop Up The Camp, which of course is the parody song to Pump Up The Jam. And this was, of course, done by The Merkins, who, as I have mentioned before, are an incredible YouTube channel. They have great parody songs. They are very big horror fanatics. And since we've got three of these to do, I think I'm going to play another one of these during the next uh, commercial break. So we'll uh, wait and see how that goes. But anyway, on that note, I want to jump right in to... NXT February 1st. This is, of course, last week's uh, NXT. And we kick things off with our first official match of the evening. We have a six-man tag team match, Imperium versus Diamond Mine. This was a badass six-man tag. This was amazing. I loved it. Uh, Still trying to get used to the fact that Walter is now known as Gunther. Uh, Very much trying to get used to it. Uh, Hopefully, eventually, I will. But, either way, still a fantastic match. Imperium, they truly are one of the most badass factions on the planet. These guys have a British strong style that somehow manages to work here in the States. I don't know if it's because uh, England and America have... Certain similarities, and I'm sure there's some British people who are probably going to want to kill me for saying that, but uh, y'all are the ones who sent the best and the brightest to start the party for us, <laughs> but anyway, still fantastic match, Diamond Mine definitely delivered, uh, I love the Kree brothers, their chemistry is undeniable, they are so badass, and they are definitely the future of... Of tag team wrestling obviously there's still some areas they need to work on but that's true with any new tag team but these guys are definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with in the tag team division whether they're in nxt whether they get called up to the main roster or whether they end up going to aew i don't know either way these guys are going to be the future of tag team wrestling i'm calling it right here Right now on the Boochcast. And of course, Roderick Strong is still doing his thing down in NXT. He's a great leader for this faction. But I know that deep down, every NXT fan, whenever they see Roderick Strong, they're all thinking the same thing. When is he going to join the rest of the Undisputed Era in AEW? That's what everybody's waiting for. And, you know, as much as I love seeing Roderick Strong in the Diamond Mine, there's a part of me that would like to see him be part of you know the uh the whatever the undisputed era is going to call themselves in uh, AEW but for now I kind of like what he's doing with the uh Diamond Mine. I feel like this is something that's very very big, it's very very good. And I'm still fascinated that there's a faction called Diamond Mine and Diamond Dallas Page has not had anything to do with this whether it was being a benefactor that's like funding the funding the faction or going into a rivalry with anybody here or making a cameo appearance i guess maybe if the diamond mine ever becomes a babyface team maybe then we might get an appearance from ddp so we'll see what happens either way great match in the end uh gunther pins uh brutus of the diamond mine for the one two three after he obliterates him with a powerbomb and Imperium ends up getting the win, which was good here because obviously, um, you know, obviously you want to start off Imperium very strong, especially with the uh the renaming of Walter to Gunther, but also you want to create that opportunity to have a match between Imperium and Diamond Mine down the road, especially if they end up being the guys that win the Dusty Roads tag team classic that win the Dusty Cup. And I really would love to see the Creed brothers win. In that cup, I truly feel like they deserve it. I truly feel like they are, like I said, the future of tag team wrestling. And if NXT is smart with their booking, then they are definitely going to make the Creed Brothers the winners of the Dusty Cup. And by them winning the Dusty Cup, this gives them an incentive to go after Imperium and create more of a story for them to inevitably fight for the NXT tag team titles. And on that note, we move on to the next segment here. We have an in-ring segment with Toxic Attraction. Uh, Jane and Dolan say Hartwell and Parada have zero chance of beating them at Vengeance Day. So we now know they're going to put the tag team titles on the line against them at Vengeance Day, which of course is uh, next week. That's when that's going to be taking place. But before uh, Mandy Rose can speak her mind, Kaylee Ray walks down to the ring with a bat. And she says she wants a title shot. Rose tells Kaylee Ray that Dolan and Jane will leave if she puts down the bat. KLR puts down the bat and they leave. KLR says she was the longest reigning women's champion of the modern era. Rose doesn't care about any of that. Rose lists her accomplishments. KLR reminds Rose that last year she was too busy falling on her ass at Wrestlemania, and sucking face with Otis. Rose knows that all the talents in the world don't match up to this and points at her body. KLR promises to get her title shot before the night is done. Rose tries to retort, but KLR slaps her. Jane and Dolan swarm, but KLR chases them away with her bat. First of all, let me just say that since the tag team titles are going to be on the line at Vengeance Day, I think Indy Hartwell and Persia Parada need to win these belts. It's time. We need to shit or get off the pot with this tag team, especially when there's been times where it looks like this team's gonna break up, whether it was Indy being distracted by Dexter Loomis or videos circulating of Indy and I can't remember the other guy's uh, name off the top of my head right now, um, where it looks like they might be an item even though Persia secretly wants to date that guy. So now they're wondering if that's gonna cause a breakup. Well, I say at Vengeance Day, one of two things has to happen. Either Hartwell and Parada win the tag team titles or Hartwell and Parada split up. And I don't wanna see them split up because I don't see Indy Hartwell doing anything by herself. And it's not because I don't think she can do it, it's because I don't think NXT wants to book that. If Indy Hartwell is gonna go solo, she needs to go for the NXT Women's Championship. Because seeing her and Dexter Loomis as a power couple in NXT would work beautifully. Beautifully. Why? Because they are hands down the most popular couple in all of WWE. I would say all of AEW, but I don't know too many couples in AEW, so I can't really say that. But I promise you right now in wrestling, Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis are the most popular couple. So they should have that power couple spot where Indy is the women's champion. And preferably I'd like to see Dexter Loomis as the NXT champion, period. But if not, at least the North American title would mean something for the group. So I'd like to see that. Also, I would love to see Kaylee Ray and Mandy Rose lock up. I think that'd be a great match. Um, but there's a part of me that thinks if it does, Kaylee Ray would have to win. Because again, who else is left? I mean, the women's division doesn't have a lot of credible people in it that can be champions. And it would take way too long to build them up, and Mandy Rose would have way too long of a title reign. And even though I've enjoyed the improvement that Mandy Rose has shown, I don't want to see her as a champion for for months or years or whatever. I don't want to see it. Now, that being said, I do like the fact they brought up um, Mandy Rose and Otis. I thought that was a great couple. I thought that was a great storyline, and I hate the fact that it got destroyed. I really do. I felt like that was a great moment, and I honestly feel like if that WrestleMania hadn't happened in the Performance Center and COVID hadn't hit and there hadn't been a lockdown and there was a crowd there for that, it would have gotten the biggest pop of the night. And yes, I am crazy enough to say that. They would have gotten the biggest pop of the whole fucking night at WrestleMania. Because that moment was amazing. I just feel like they destroyed it. I thought Otis had a great thing going and they fucking destroyed it. Some people say he's doing better in the Alpha Academy. I'm like, meh. Mandy Rose obviously doing well here in NXT. So she did eventually rise above that. And she's doing great as a heel because she's being the centerfold bitch that she's always been. But she's somehow able to still back it up in the ring now that her in-ring skills have dramatically improved. So, either way, I thought that was great. Next, we cut to the backstage area where Raquel Gonzalez tells Cora Jade there's still time for her to back out of their match. Jade promises to show Gonzalez that she is worthy of being her partner for the Dusty Classic. So, basically what's happening here is Cora Jade's still on this crusade to get Raquel Gonzalez into the Dusty Classic. And, honestly, I think it'd be a great tag team. It'd be something new that could, um, you know... Elevate both their careers right now because Cora Jade needs the push and Raquel Gonzalez needs something to do in order to stay out of the NXT women's title picture and for Mandy Rose to have, you know, the run that she needs to have. So if you got no plans to put Raquel Gonzalez back in the title and the women's title picture, why not have her team up with Cora Jade? How about they win the whole damn thing and then boom, let's have. Then win the women's tag team titles. That'd be great. Assuming, of course, that Toxic Attraction is still going to hold on to them. Speaking of Toxic Attraction, we cut to the parking lot where KLR, Kaylee Ray, kidnaps Jane and Dolan. And uh, I thought that was very entertaining and and she lets Mandy know she's coming back for her. So I love that. And it's just the beginning of the mind games that get played throughout this entire episode. So I thought that was a very well done segment. I like that Kaylee Ray's a little crazy. I do find it odd, though, that she has two people in a back seat and she's in the car by herself so unless she knocked out jane and dolan with the bat and tied them up that part might look a little um hate to use the word but i got to fake and it might make the segment look stupid and not believable but we couldn't really see in the car so it was hard to tell and um on that note we move on to the next match of the evening if we even want to call it that uh raquel gonzalez versus cora jade And I don't think I want to call this a match. All this did was set up an angle and it didn't last long enough to really be considered a match. You know, Gonzalez tossed Jade all over the ring. You know, she eventually fired up, made a comeback, but ends up leaping right into Gonzalez's powerbomb finish. She pins her one, two, three. After the match, Gonzalez helps Jade up and says, let's go win this. So now we know that they are officially a team in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic for the women's division. Obviously, the women's um, cup hasn't started yet. And I think it's supposed to start after uh, Vengeance Day. So I don't know how long they're going to drag this out for. I don't know if it's supposed to drag on to Stand and Deliver, which I don't think it is. Unless they want to do that like the week of... Because I know, I'm pretty sure Stand and Deliver is going to be the week of WrestleMania. So it'll probably be at the end of March. So unless they want to, you know, do like two matches at a time or one match at a time and really drag this some bitch out, then they could do that. Otherwise, it'll end too quickly. So I feel like in order to do this, you would have to have... Then it's gonna be like four, you know, quarterfinal matches, two semifinals, and a final. So in order for that to work, if I'm looking at the calendar correctly, and I believe I am, let me just pull up the old calendar. Assuming this starts, when is it supposed to start? Okay, it says here that it's supposed to kick off on February 22nd. Okay, so this is the one after Vengeance Day. So let's see. You got one, two, three. Four, five, six. So you got about six weeks before WrestleMania. So, according to this, we don't even see the bracket yet. So, assuming they did four quarterfinal matches, two semifinal matches, and a final. So, that's one, two, three. So, that's four matches there, two, and one. So, you have to do one match a week is an option. And then, by the time you get to stand and deliver, because I think they're going to do a night one and a night two of stand and deliver. So, night one could be the last semifinal match, and then night two could be the finals and crown the Dusty Cup winner. Or, what you can do is... You can have 4 quarterfinal matches, one, two, three, four, then do both semifinal matches on week five, and in the last week, make the finals of the Women's Tag Team Classic just one of the matches on the card. Now, I think for Stand and Deliver, they're doing two nights. If they are, then I think they should do one of the semifinal matches during night one and the finals match on night two. If you're not going to have two nights, and it's just going to be one night, one card, which I personally would fucking prefer... Then what you want to do is have the finals at Stand and Deliver. And just do one match a week and then do the 2 semifinal matches on the fifth week. That's another way to do this. So There's a different ways they can go about this. But because they're dragging this out, then you can have the men's Dusty Cup end at Vengeance Day. And the other one end at Santa and Deliver for the women. So that's perfect. So I see how the way they're booking this. Or the way they should book this. And so far, I'm liking what I see. Uh, obviously, Raquel Gonzalez and Cora Jade seem to be the fan favorites. But... I kind of need to see who the other women are going to be in the brackets. And I got a feeling we have to wait till after Vengeance Day to even see that. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We have... Saray versus Kayla Enley. Uh, let's see. So, Saray is basically doing this new gimmick where now she's found her purpose. She has this necklace that her grandmother owned or gave her or whatever. So she does this thing now where she walks to the ring in like a schoolgirl outfit, goes through this cloud of smoke to go out through the curtain, And then as soon as she shows up in front of the NXT crowd, she's in her outfit. So it's literally like a Clark Kent, Superman, or in this case, Superwoman, Supergirl kind of situation. That's basically what we're dealing with here. I admit, I like the entrance. It's pretty cool. Saray is still great in the ring. Uh, Inlay, don't know too much about her, but she definitely held her own in this match, which is why I'm not throwing in a, if you want to call it that, because I feel like this was a good back-and-forth match that really... um, did what it was supposed to do. Or as John would say, it was a great TV match. In the end, Saray lands a side suplex. Gets the one, two, three, The winner of the match, Saray. So... Great job uh, by Saray, liking the new gimmick, and uh, intrigued to see where it goes from here. And then, after that, we cut to uh, Pete Dunne, who's backstage, and now he wants to challenge Tony D'Angelo to a steel cage match. Because he basically wants this feud with him to end, and basically they've kind of gotten one up on each other. uh, Obviously with um, Tony D'Angelo attacking um, Pete Dunne with the crowbar, Pete Dunne attacking uh, Tony D'Angelo with the cricket bat. that, and now there's gonna have a steel cage to settle the score. Just like how this whole thing started at War Games. He wants to end it inside the steel cage. So I guess no better time like the present to get that done. And obviously they booked the Steel Cage match, and it's gonna happen uh at Vengeance Day, which is awesome, and I'm definitely looking forward to it because Pete Dunn is a badass. Tony D'Angelo's established himself as a badass. And uh, to me, this is going to be the make or break about whether or not Pete Dunne is staying in NXT or if he's getting called up to the main roster. If Tony D'Angelo wins, Pete Dunne's getting called up. If Pete Dunne wins, he's going to be hanging around for a while. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next moment here. We got an in-ring segment with Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. Williams says Grimes is better off playing poker instead of trying to come for the A champ. Hayes says even though the people don't take Grimes seriously, Hayes does. Cameron Grimes interrupts. Williams says he want to take his boot off and whoop him. Grimes jokes about Hayes having hair like Spongebob, and that makes Williams Squidward. Williams tells Grimes he ain't about it. Grimes wants to know if he's fighting Hayes or Williams. Hayes gets in Grimes' face and says he's going to show him at Vengeance Day. Grimes says there's only, one, there's only going to be one star in the ring at Vengeance Day, and he's going to the moon. So... All I got to say is, great segment, great promos. This was phenomenal. Carmelo Hayes gets better and better every week. Trick Williams is the ultimate hype man. And I also love that every time he's in the ring, the fans start chanting, Whoop that trick! Whoop that trick! Whoop that trick! Whoop that trick! trick!" Because most people don't know that's a rap song (laughs) about a girl who's a trick, and the guys are like, Whoop that trick. Mostly because the bitch deserved it. So, I like that that's becoming a chant, but it's geared towards Trick Williams. I love it. It's genius. Cameron Grimes has gotten so much better on the mic since he stopped being goofy. I like the new look that he has. And I feel like this is going to be the, a, another step in him getting taken more seriously as a wrestler, more seriously as a competitor. And if he can win the North American title at Vengeance Day, he needs to go that more serious route. Now granted, you know, the Spongebob thing was good. Williams being Squidward you know, is great, especially if you're a Spongebob fan. And uh, on that note, we cut to the locker room. We got... Malik, Blade, and Idris, and Ofi, who are discussing a tag team name, and Ofi goes off on a rant about how hot Rose is, and Ofi asks Blade what he would say to Rose if she were in the room. Blade closes eyes and starts to speak as Rose stumbles through the door and ends up in Blade's arms. Rose they have that they have to help her, and Rose runs away, and KLR quickly follows. And Ofi tells Blade they should go after them. Blade, with a coat covering his lap, says... He can't. He needs a minute. I love it. I thought it was hilarious, you know? Like, he's saying thank you, God, because Mandy Rose fell into his arms until they realize she's running from a psychopath. And the whole needs a minute is great because that's obviously, you know, the joke. Like, you know, he has a coat covering his lap because Mandy Rose sitting on his lap gave him a hard-on. And he's like, I need a minute. You know, it's like when you get that random erection in class and your teacher wants you to come up to the board. It's like, now nah, I'll take a zero for participation. I ain't getting out of this fucking chair. That's not fucking happening. So... I'm going to sit right the fuck here. Because <laughs> for some reason, back in the day, kids would get laughed at for having an erection. Somehow a boner was embarrassing. And I'm like, yeah, maybe back then. But then the older you get, the more you realize it ain't embar- it's not embarrassing. It's a blessing. And you'll miss them when they're gone. Trust me. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We have L.A. Knight's. Versus Joe Gacy with Harlan. Yeah. I love this. This was a very well done match. L.A. Knight and Gacy worked so well together in the the ring. L.A. Knight, everybody knows how I feel about him already. To me, he is the star of NXT. He is the man. He is the guy. He needs to be NXT champion by the end of this year. And if it's possible to make him the champ at Stand and Deliver, do it. Because, damn it, L.A. Knight deserves to be the top guy in NXT. He is. He is the man. I don't know anybody else in NXT that can match his charisma, his wrestling ability, and his old school style. Joe Gacy just gets better and better with his gimmick all the time, and I love how he, used, he still is able to work a match despite being the person that's all about peace And he finds a way to blend it all together, and it's perfect. And then, of course, uh, Grayson Waller's bodyguard hops the barricade. While Knight is trying to—Waller rolls into frame and hits his stunner. Knight manages to roll back in the ring at the nine count, but Gacy immediately lands his handspring lariat for the win, and Joe Gacy gets the one, two, three. I personally would have preferred the count-out victory. If you were going to do that outside the ring, you might as well give him the count-out victory. That way, Joe Gacy still gets his heat. Now, he has a decisive victory over L.A. Knights. That doesn't do anything. I also like the fact that when Waller hit the Rolling Stunner on L.A. Knight, it was timed perfectly to where it made sense... And when El, when Joe Gacy hit his handspring lariat, it was timed in a way to where it made sense. That's why LA Knight is great to me. He knows how to sell, and he knows how to sell properly. He knows how to perfectly time something so when he gets hit with a, with a rolling stunner or a handspring lariat, he's not just standing there like a stoic fucking statue waiting for the hit to come and just being like, "Here I am. I'll catch you." He don't do that shit. Why? Because he's properly trained. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area where we see Robert Stone and talking about how uh he got he's now representing Von Wagner. I thought he had a very good promo here. You know, Robert Stone basically saying that he's uh he's paying off Von Wagner's fines and will continue to do so so Von Wagner can rage destruction and eventually lead his way to the nxt championship and it's perfect because uh von wagner's decent on the mic but robert stone is way fucking better so this is going to work out perfectly for him so i'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out it's going to be fantastic and on that note we cut to the backstage area with tiffany stratton who offers to take amari Miller shopping if she takes care of wendy chu tonight I thought it was a good segment, you know? Tiffany wants to take her shopping with her daddy's credit card. Amari is a woman. Naturally, women love to shop. And that's not being sexist. That's a fucking fact. Women love to shop. So, great gimmick. Made sense. Loved it. On that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. Amari Miller versus Wendy Chu. This match was awesome. Wendy Chu, I am blown away by how talented she is. Like, she has the gimmick of, you know, I wear pajamas, I got a pillow, I like my free refills, and she looks like she's always going to a sleepover. But in those pajamas, in those fuzzy bunny slippers, she is able to move around that ring and do very well. And also, like, when she jumps up to do, like, an elbow drop or a slam, she puts her hands up like she's going to sleep, and bam, lands on top. She, she is so great in the ring. That her gimmick is allowed to be silly. Because when the bell rings, she kicks ass. And everything she does in the ring is a believable move. Especially when she's working with an opponent who knows how to properly sell those moves. Wendy Chu has my stamp of approval. Until she proves otherwise, I am in her corner. And in the end, Stratton walks down to the ring to remind Miller about her offer by sliding the uh, credit card into the ring. Chu lands a flying axe handle for the win during all the confusion. And then, as Stratton gets in the ring and yells at Miller, Stratton wants her credit card back, but Miller can't find it. Chu has it and starts dancing on the stage with it. Perfect. So now, Wendy Chu now has the credit card, and she's gonna steal it, and can go on the shopping spree and do whatever she wants, as Tiffany's like, what the fuck? You know, so I loved it. I thought it was a very great moment. You know, Wendy Chu is the babyface, getting the upper hand. You know, Tiffany Stratton as the heel, you know, demanding the credit card back. Amari can't find it. It was just great storytelling. It was very well done. And I was impressed. Next, we cut to the backstage area where Hartwell and Dexter Loomis try to convince Parada to stop crushing on Duke Hudson. And yes, that was the person from earlier, Duke Hudson. Sorry, I couldn't remember the name. Um, Obviously, I know his name, but I forgot that that was the name of the person that Parada was crushing on. You know, so, because there's this big back and forth thing about whether or not Indy Hartwell was crushing on Duke Hudson, even though it's blatantly obvious she's madly in love with Dexter Loomis. Unless they're planning Indy Hartwell to have the heel turn of the fucking century, she's still going to be with Dexter Loomis. And then after that... Saray's in the back talking about her necklace and everything and then dakota kai comes out and you know says a bunch of random shit i can't remember off the top of my head because uh it wasn't really that special it was just a lot of blah 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 so we're gonna move on to the next match of the evening we have andre chase versus draco anthony this was a very decent match. I mean, it wasn't special, but it was decent. Draco Anthony did a hell of a job. Andre Chase, of course, um, he's a very good worker. Um, he's not like a technical master or anything like that, but as a worker, he does very well, and he plays his gimmick very well. His, you know, it, he works the gimmick to tell the story and do the business. And Draco Anthony just kicks ass and takes names. Uh, and then towards the end, uh, he rips the Chase U flag from Hayward and steps on it. Chase fires up, hits the complete shot for the win and in the end Andre Chase gets the victory. So it turns out ripping up the Chase U flag triggered Andre Chase so much he had to take him out. And let me just say I'm glad that Andre Chase got the win in this match because honestly I feel like he'd been losing way too much. Now, obviously, he's a bit of a comedic act, so he's not going for any titles anytime soon. But at the same time, in order for him to have a Chase University, in order for him to be taken seriously as a teacher of wrestling, you have to have wins under your belt. you got to win at some point. It's the same thing I used to say back when Timothy, Timothy Thatcher had the Thatch's Thatch Can thing. You know, that was very uh, Ole Anderson-like. You know, Andre Chase has to have some wins. Otherwise, you're not a credible teacher. In order to be a credible teacher, you have to be good at what it is you're teaching. You have to have credentials to show for it. You also have to be a person who's made mistakes. So that's why it makes sense for Andre She's to have a win-loss record. You know, hey, I messed up here, but I learned a lesson, and here's the lesson. That's key. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area where Rose thinks she has finally escaped KLR. KLR appears behind her and dumps a bowl of spaghetti on her head. Before Rose can do anything, KLR hits her with a cake. Rose trips and takes a hilarious bump. So, obviously, the, uh, the mind games are still being played here. KLR is making her life a living hell because she desperately wants her title shot. So, we only got a little bit left in the show, though. So, let's see if she is able to get the shot by the end of the night or if we got to drag this out even longer. On that note, we move on to the main event of the evening. We got ourselves some tag team action. Uh, Braun Breaker and Tommaso Ciampa versus Legato del Fantasma. This was a solid, stellar main event. It was. I thoroughly enjoyed this main event. My only complaint... I know some people are going, oh, fuck, here we go. My only complaint is that originally I was under the impression that this was going to be a three-on-two handicap match with Santos Escobar, with Wilde and Mendoza, the three of them on a team, versus Braun Breaker and Tommaso Ciampa. But for some reason, it ended up just being a regular tag team match. So that kind of took the wind out of my sails a little bit because I don't feel that it presented what was advertised or it was very misleading, but... Either way, still a great match. Still amazing. Braun Breaker showing that he is the, every bit the badass we know him to be. Tommaso showing he's still got it. The two of them working thoroughly well together as a team. Legado del Fantasma able to, you know, play the numbers game and do the double teaming, but can't seem to keep him down for the three count. You know, especially when Escobar sent Breaker into the ring post to weaken him. You know, it it, it was great. There was psychology. There was storytelling. There was wrestling that was working. Everything was perfect, and especially when Breaker finally gave Champa the hot tag, and he came in like a house of fire. It was perfect, and in the end, Breaker hit his press power slam for the win. Braun Breaker to Ciampa Champa win. For a brief moment, I thought I saw Breaker grab his shoulder or his pec, and I thought, "Oh fuck, don't tell me he hurt something." Oh, I hope he's not injured. From the looks of things, it doesn't look like he's injured. I haven't seen any uh anything on the uh dirt sheets that has said that Braun Breaker's injured, so I think maybe he might have just you know got a little bit hurt and eventually was able to, uh, you know, ice it down and feel better and you know all that so hopefully everything's uh okay with him and then of course after the match Escobar gets on the apron Breaker squares up but Escobar backs off Ciampa points at the stage Ro- and next thing you know Rose is crawling down the ramp KLR is not far behind Rose with her KLR corners Rose in the ring and eventually by this time Breaker and Ciampa got out of the ring cause this ain't their fight they don't want to deal with it and they're done anyway and then KLR co- and then KLR says she doesn't want to wait until Vengeance Day. She wants her title shot next week. Rose finally agrees to give her the match. Okay. Okay, I think at this point, you guys pretty much know what I'm about to say. If you saw or listened to, I should say, the AEW recap that I did with Elvis last week, you got a pretty good idea where I'm going with this. Those of you who didn't, strap in. Why is this not at Vengeance Day? Now again, I know I've said in the past about giving shit away on free TV, and I know Vengeance Day is on free TV next week. But still, you have a big event coming up that you want people to take seriously why are you not putting your title matches on that show why why do you feel you need this main event to draw ratings for next week you don't need it people were already gonna tune in to next week's show why because it's the go home before the event or the the pay-per-view or whatever the fuck Whatever the go-home episode is, people are going to tune into it. You don't have to do a crazy amazing match to build people up. If anything, all you gotta do is maybe a couple contract signings, some in-ring face-to-face promos, backstage interviews, that's it. Maybe you have a match or two with other people, maybe a tag team match involving some of them. There's ways you can do this. But don't give away big title matches or big money-making matches on regular shows. It's fucking stupid. Because then your big show comes up. What are you going to have for that? Yeah, you got a lot of great matches on the card, but your women's champion is not on the show? How am I supposed to take any of the champions seriously if they're not featured on the big money-making show? I need to know the logic in that. Now, like I said, I've given Mandy Rose her props on improving her skills from how much, from from how shitty she was in the past and how much I fucking hated her. But again, I hate this. You know, the baby face is supposed to say, I don't want to wait till vengeance day, but the heel is supposed to say, guess what, bitch? You're waiting because we do things on my time. And I do things on the big stage because that's where the money is and I'm a prize fighter. I fight for the prize. I fight for the purse, which in this case I'm talking about money, but in this case it could literally mean a fucking purse. But it makes no sense to book this match on a random show, but then turn around and say, this is a women's champion we're supposed to take seriously. It's a crock of shit. Now, obviously, I still watched it. And obviously, at the end of this show, I'm going to be talking about it. But I need to make it clear before I go to break that I hate this idea. And that this shits on the women's title and the women's division. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, that'll wrap up this recap on the February 1st episode of NXT. I'm going to take a short break here. And when I come back, we will have your recap of NXT from this past Tuesday. That's right. The Go Home Before Vengeance Day is coming up next here on the Bootscast. So you guys sit tight. I shall return right after this. and welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break, we played the song Kills, Kills, Kills which is of course the uh, Motley Crue parody of Girls, Girls, Girls That was done, once again, by those lovable YouTubers, the Merkins. Uh, Like I said before, I'm a huge fan of their YouTube channel and a huge fan of their work. I look forward to their Slash Street Boys uh, videos every year on Halloween. They get better and better and better, and it's amazing. So I just felt like playing this uh, cool, badass song. It also reminds me of a time when um, the last time I heard Motley the Motley Crue song, girl. Girls, girls, girls was back when I worked for the regular guys. And um, we were doing the, uh, the second, I think it was the second one, uh, the prison princess pageant. And uh, during intermission, there was a little bit of a break. Jerry and I, who were dressed as a uh, police officers for the event, uh, we were on stage kind of, you know, singing with everybody. Girls, Girls, girls. And I'll be honest, um, we did not know the lyrics, so we would just scream. We would just try to, like, you know, try to get through it, like, "Ah, girls, girls, girls. Like, we would just try to figure it out because we did not know the fucking lyrics. So we just kind of like, you know, air guitar, get through the whole thing. And then right when it got to that point, go, girls, girls, girls. So that was just our, our way of having fun with that. But uh, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this song. And I uh, hope you guys will subscribe to the Merkins YouTube channel. Because like I said before, if you're a horror movie fan, you will love the Merkins. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we will now commence with the recap of NXT from this past Tuesday. That's right. This is the show that took place. This is the go-home episode before next week's NXT Vengeance Day. And we kick things off with a semi-final match in the Men's Dusty Classic. We got the Kree Brothers with Diamond Mine versus the Grizzled Young Veterans. This, ladies and gentlemen, was solid tag team wrestling. This is probably one of the best tag team matches I've seen in NXT, and I've seen a lot of tag team matches. Now, obviously, the Creed brothers went over. They're, they're advancing to the finals uh, next week. And as excited as I am for the Creed brothers, because I went on and on about them in the previous segment, uh, I got to say, at the same time, I'm a little bit, you know heartbroken that their win came at the expense of the grizzled young veterans because i believe this is a tag team that has been overlooked in nxt over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again these guys are a solid tag team they're they're hands down one of the best tag teams to come out of nxt uk and i feel like in in the states they haven't gotten their proper due. And I keep hoping someday they will. Now, obviously, the Creed brothers are on a hot streak, and this is their moment to shine. But when the time comes for the Creed brothers to drop the tag belts, because I truly believe they're winning this thing, and they're going to beat Imperium, and they're going to become the tag team champions. And when the day comes for them to lose the tag belts... I hope it's to the grizzled young veterans because they deserve so much better. I mean, obviously, uh, Gibson and Drake work so well together. They are so fluid as a tag team. Every move they do is spot on. It's like they practice and practice and practice. They are so ready for the big time because they wrestle like a tag team should. They do double team moves. They'll, uh, you know, one guy will... um, do a will slam somebody to the ground the other guy will immediately come off the top rope or do some kind of flip or something and land on top of them like their timing is impeccable and of course the grizzled young veterans are the exact same way so it felt like one team was trying to beat another team It was tag team wrestling done right. And I believe if you're in the performance center right now and you're in a tag team and you're waiting for your moment, these are the two teams you want to watch and this is a match you want to see on repeat to learn what tag team wrestling is supposed to be about. In the end, Brutus almost decapitated Drake with a basement axe bomber to get the one, two, three. After that, the Creed Brothers pose in front of the Dusty Cup uh, with Malcolm Bivens pointing at it and, of course, uh, Roderick Strong and uh, Ivy Nile behind them as they are basically you know, trying to declare that the Creed brothers are going to win this. And, dear God, I hope they do. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area. We see uh, Valentina Faraz and Ulisa Leon confront Cora Jade. Raquel Gonzalez walks in and they argue in Spanish. I have no idea what the fuck was said and neither does Cora Jade. Gonzalez tells Jade that only she can call Jade that. Jade asks what they called her and Gonzalez walked away. Now, the only part of this segment that was entertaining was when Gonzalez turned to Jade and said, only I can call you that. And Jade has no idea what they called her. That one line saved this whole segment because it was fucking stupid. It was stupid. I get it. They're Latina. They all want to speak Spanish. But you have to remember, the majority of the people watching speak English. If you're not going to put subtitles... Don't even fucking bother with the segment. Because we can't follow what the fuck is going on. So we can't even tell if there was an effective promo. This whole goddamn segment was a waste of time to get to one line that was forgotten about by the time we got to the next match. Okay? And I don't care if this makes me sound, you know, horrible or whatever. I don't give a fuck if you want to judge me. When I watch wrestling in the United States, I want to hear English. Okay? Now, if I'm watching Japanese wrestling from Japan, and they want to speak Japanese, that's fine. If there's no English interpreter, I just won't watch. Or, I'll just watch the matches, and that's it. Same thing with Mexican wrestling. Lucha Libre. If they don't want to speak English, I'll just watch the matches. But it's goddamn ridiculous that you have an American wrestling company in America, and no one's speaking English in this promo. What the fuck are we supposed to get out of this? You know? At least with Raquel, she'll speak English the majority of the time, and then she'll say something like, Chiquita. Or maybe she'll throw in a couple of Spanish words. But at least the majority of the promo's in English, so we know what the fuck she's talking about. So that was a waste of time. But anyway, we cut to earlier today, we see Wendy Chu and Amari Miller arrive at the arena with a ton of shopping bags. They basically shopped until Tiffany Stratton's father canceled the credit card. (laughs) (laughs) Which again is entertaining, because if she's going to steal the credit card she might as well go on a shopping spree. So that makes this fun. That makes it entertaining. I find that hilarious because it's a good way to get one over on the heel. I have your credit card. I'm going to spend your money. And I'm going to spend it on on expensive shit that I want. The only way this would have been better is if they'd opened the bags and shown what they bought and how much it was worth. Because that's what you need to do when you... Because obviously if you're going to steal someone's credit card, you're going to ball out with that fucking card. Why? It's not your money. So I felt like we could have seen more from this. They they could have done a little bit better. But still great segment on that note we move on to the next match of the evening we have tiffany stratton versus wendy chu this was a decent match wasn't amazing didn't suck just decent you know chu playing the mind games with stratton you know uh doing the nap time elbow that it's now called uh, of course uh stratton eventually fights back uh, she gets pissed off after breaking a nail so she unloads on chu She ends up in the corner. Uh, Stratton hits the handspring splash, then lands a corkscrew splash, and gets the one, two, three. The winner of the match, Tiffany Stratton. And I like that. I like the fact that when she broke the nails, she got fucking mad and snapped. Because here's the truth. When a woman breaks a nail, she gets fucking pissed. I'm sorry, women are obsessed with their nails. It actually reminds me of that classic movie, The Lady Buzz, or Rodney Dangerfield, where one of the girls uh, in the... uh, in like the final um, soccer game one of the girls fell and broke her nail and she's like she like looks down and goes I broke my nail and then she turns around and goes mom those bitches broke my nail and they're like they broke your nail and they look at all the parents and they went they broke her nail and they all went they all got shocked and then all of a sudden all the parents in the stands start chanting get those nail breakers get those nail breakers and then she fucking snaps she gets a soccer ball she's checking bitches left and right she kicks that bitch right through the goal right into the goal and fucking scores now i can't remember if that was the winning uh goal for the team but it definitely got them points and it was a highlight of the fucking movie so that just made it a little entertaining for me and it's also and it's believable because women who are girl women who are that fucking spoiled are gonna bitch over a broken nail now most women that are like working class or if they're country girls they're not gonna care about a broken nail I don't give a shit. They're not obsessed about their nails unless they have to be but trust me valley girls or you know sociopathic social climbers and socialites and all them bitches they obsess about their goddamn nails <laughs> so that was kind of fun then after that Draco Anthony confronts, is confronted by Harlan uh, Joe Gacy says a bunch of random shit and then it's moving on to another moment uh, I can't really remember what happened I just know Joe Gacy was being fucking weird so next we cut to the backstage area where Pete Dunn says he's going to finish Tony D'Angelo in a cage match next week Draco Anthony Anthony walks in and tells Dunn that D'Angelo may not respect Dunn, but he does. Anthony tries to shake Dunn's hand, but Dunn scoffs. Dunn says, whatever, and he's still going to snap Anthony's fingers tonight. Which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, Pete Dunn is, you know, technically he is a babyface, but he doesn't act like a white meat babyface. Like, he's still a badass. He's one of the few babyfaces that gets away with, um, still being a badass motherfucker. So, it's, it's not an easy thing to pull off, but he's able to do so. So, uh... Props to Pete for that. And then we move on to the next match of the evening. We got Pete Dunn versus Draco Anthony. And, of course, uh, Joe Gacy and Harlan are watching the match from the bird's nest, crow's nest up there. And this was actually a pretty good match. I mean, uh, Pete Dunn was definitely kicking some ass. Um, You know, at one point, it looked like uh, Draco was going to you know, make a comeback, but he got distracted staring at Gacy. Uh, Then eventually, D'Angelo hops the barricade, tries to attack Dunn with a crowbar. Dunn avoids it and hits a snap German on Anthony. He then lands the bitter end for the win, the one, two, three. The winner of the match is Pete Dunn. So uh, it was a very decent match. Obviously, there was some outside interference, but uh, I kind of thought it was weird that the interference hurt Draco more than it did Pete Dunn. See, I believe there's going to be interference, I thought it would be something to, like, you know, make we compete Dunn before the show. Otherwise, why the fuck are we even having this distraction? I think it's stupid and unnecessary, but overall, still a good match. Then after the match, Dunn snaps D'Angelo's fingers. D'Angelo runs up the ramp. Dunn goes out of the ring, tosses a bunch of weapons into the ring. Dunn grabs a mic and challenges D'Angelo to not just a cage match, but a weaponized cage match. And D'Angelo agrees. Now, obviously, I I, I was hoping this would happen because I felt like with the crowbar and the cricket bat, you got to have weapons in the match as well. But I find it weird they're calling it a weaponized cage match because normally they would call it like an extreme cage match or obviously there was also the Ambrose Asylum Like, they might call it an asylum match because they can technically still use the Ambrose name because Dean Ambrose is a WWE trademarked name. That's why when Moxley left, he stopped calling himself Dean Ambrose. So, makes perfect sense. But one thing I thought was interesting was the fact that they're calling it a weaponized cage match. I think that's way too wordy. They should have just called it an extreme cage match. But either way, I'm excited to see it. That's going to make this match even better than it already is. And it's definitely going to be something that's going to definitively end this rivalry. Because it needs to come to an end. The question is, who's going over? We'll find out at Vengeance Day next week. And on that note, we're going to move on to the backstage area. We see Zoe Stark, who convinces Io Sh- Shirai that they need to enter the Dusty Classic so they can get back the titles they never lost. Shirai agrees. Shirai will find someone to take Stark's place since she is still injured. Stark asks who is Shirai going to pick. Shirai refuses to tell her. So, EO Shirai has finally been convinced to pick a new partner, which is good because A, Zoe Stark is injured, and B, EO's made it clear she doesn't like Zoe Stark. So, why are they even a fucking team? Uh, I'm intrigued to see who she's going to pick. But here's my big thing What's going to happen when Zoe Stark is medically cleared and EO and whoever her partner is win the match and then win the titles? Is that partner supposed to hand the belt over to Zoe Stark? Is Zoe going to fight that? other girl for that tag team title how is that gonna work or maybe EO will enjoy the partner so much she'll maybe turn on Zoe Stark or Zoe Stark might get jealous and turn on EO Shirai and then Zoe Stark can go heel I think that'd be great so there's a million different ways this can go and I'm intrigued either way. And then after that, we cut to the backstage area. We see Dakota Kai um, basically playing with or looking at all the stuff that Wendy Chu bought with uh, Tiffany Stratton's credit card. And then she goes, "Um, excuse us, is that your stuff? So basically, uh, Dakota Kai is still trying to act like a bitch who's gone crackers. So we'll see where that goes, but... On that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got Sanja with Grayson Waller versus L.A. Knight. This was a very good match. Knight was all over Sanja, but unfortunately, none of his offense had any effect. Sanja is a big guy. He wrestled like a big man. He sold like a big man. And when it came time for him to do the job, he lost like a big man. And I notice I say like a big man, that's because um I'm not gonna get into this on this uh recap. Let's just say over on AEW, a certain big man dropped the ball big time with his inability to fight like a big man. But we'll wait till I talk to Elvis and the AEW recap to go into detail on that. But either way, loved everything here. Eventually Sanja crashed into an exposed turnbuckle. And Knight hits a net breaker, and that's how he gets the one, two, three. And we have the winner of the match, uh, L.A. Knight. Because uh, basically last week, after L.A. Knight was attacked by Waller, he said, if you could beat Sanja, maybe I'll consider dropping the restraining order. And that was what this was about. So it looks like the restraining order was going to get dropped. But instead, after the match, Knight drops Waller with the uh, blunt force trauma. And walks out of the ring. So uh LA Knight gets the win, LA Knight looks like a million bucks. Couldn't have asked for anything better. Next, we cut to the backstage area with Duke Hudson, who insinuates that Dante Chen isn't here tonight because of him. Before he walks away, Hudson looks in the camera and wishes Indy Hartwell good luck in her tag team title match next week. Now, obviously, that's pretty fucking weird and random. I don't know why the fuck he's doing this. I don't know where this storyline is going, but to just insert yourself into that storyline like out of nowhere kind of looks fucking stupid to me. I don't know. That just felt like it didn't need to be there. Next, we cut to the backstage area where Waller says he's not facing L.A. Knight next week. Knight violated the restraining order, so next week, Knight is going to be arrested. Okay. Okay, now, here's the part where I need to step in and bring something that needs to be brought into this equation that apparently nobody thought about, and apparently I'm the only one who has it, and that is logic. First of all, L.A. Knight violated the restraining order. First of all, Waller got near him last week, thus causing L.A. Knight to go after him. Now, I'm not really a big expert on restraining orders, I've never put out a restraining order. I've never had one put out on me. But I'm pretty sure if you put a restraining order on somebody and you go near the very person that you put the restraining order on, I don't think that's going to hold up in a court of law. Somehow, I don't think that. Also, if... L.A. Knight can be arrested for violating this restraining order, why wouldn't security handcuff L.A. Knight and escort him out of the building right then and there? Why weren't the cops called and L.A. Knight, at some point in the show, got handcuffed and taken out of the building? Mr. Knight, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. And, think about this. If L.A. Knight's gonna be arrested next week, why the fuck would he show up to the building? If you're telling me I'm gonna be a arrested next week, guess what? I ain't coming to the show. I'm not clocking into work. I am going to be as far away from the Capitol Wrestling Center as I can possibly be. Why? Because I don't want to get arrested. This whole segment was retarded. There are so many holes in this fucking story that it's not even remotely plausible. You just took what was a great storyline and and made it stupid with that one segment. That That's just dumb. That's just plain stupidity on the part of NXT. And I expect better from NXT. It really makes me mad how not smart they are. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next moment here. We have the NXT Championship Summit. Wade Barrett is the moderator. Santos Escobar is with all of Legado del Fantasma. Braun Breaker shows up as well. And he says at Vengeance Day, he will remain the NXT champion. Breaker notes that we all know how these types of things go. So he suggests they just flip the table over and fight right now. Escobar says everything happens on his time. People like Paul Heyman call Braun Breaker the future. But Escobar is plotting on ways to end his career. Next, Dolph Ziggler's music hits. Ziggler slowly walks to the ring. Barrett walks away. Ziggler sits in Barrett's chair and says Breaker want to know if he worked Tuesdays. So he guessed he does now. Ziggler asks Breaker who the hell he is. Breaker says he's the NXT champion and the reason why Ziggler is here. Breaker says he'll deal with Ziggler after Escobar. Ziggler lets Breaker know that's a rookie move looking past his opponent. Ziggler says with all his accolades, there are many, but he is not, but he's never held the NXT championship. He's in Breaker's head. Tommaso Champa's music hits. Champa struts down to the ring and says Ziggler as NXT champion is a hard is a hard pass. Ciampa calls Ziggler kid. Escobar loses it and asks, what the hell is going on? Escobar promises to deal with Ziggler. Ziggler, and Ciampa after he wins the title. Ciampa tells Escobar he won't make it to Vengeance Day if he interrupts him again. Ziggler makes fun of Ciampa for pandering to the same hundred fans who come to this arena every week. Ziggler wants to know when Ciampa is going to take his training wheels off. Ciampa boots Ziggler out of his chair. The two fight up the ramp. Legato attacks Breaker. Wilde and Mendoza eventually put Breaker through the table in the ring. And that's when Escobar reminds him that everything happens on his time. Now, this was full of craziness. First of all, you know, Braun Breaker and Santos Escobar are going to fight for the NXT Championship. Ciampa is now somehow trying to get back into the NXT title picture. And now Ziggler wants to get involved. Now... Here's my question. If Ziggler is looking to become the NXT champion, the question is, is he going to stay on NXT? Because I'm going to be blunt and honest right now. NXT currently doesn't have solid stars. I mean, they're doing the best they can with Braun Breaker to put him in that spot. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but he still has a ways to go. We got Tommaso Champa, but it's like they said, he needs to take the training wheels off at some point. Ciampa has been staying in NXT for way too long. I know he doesn't want to leave because he's scared of getting fucked over on the main roster. But at some point, whether the wrestlers like it or not, you gotta man up and take the gamble. You have to. You can't stay in NXT forever. Eventually, you are going to get stale and the public is going to get tired of you that's why there's the thing about getting called up because it puts you in front of a different audience it allows you to showcase if you truly belong here so champa needs to go to the main roster now as far as ziggler goes we all know the story with dolph ziggler yes he's mentioned a lot of accomplishments that he has and a lot of them are good he even bragged about being the world heavyweight champion even though He wasn't champ for very long because he was fucking concussion prone. But we also know that Ziggler eventually learned how to not be concussion prone. He finally learned how to work better. And he's been living in obscurity for the longest time and it's been bullshit. He's had two valid opportunities in the last couple of years. To become the WWE champion. And they fucked him over both times. He had the match with Dean Ambrose in like 2016, 17. can't remember the exact year. I think it was 2016. And it all went to shit. He had a match with Dean Ambrose. And it was a terrible fucking match. And Ziggler should have went over. Then they had the whole thing with Kofi Kingston. But no. They had to keep the belt on Kofi. Even though he was getting stale as fuck with his title reign. Ziggler has been wronged time and time again. If anybody should be telling WWE to fuck off and go to AEW, it should be Dolph Ziggler. They even relegated him to a tag team with Bobby Roode and pretty much killed Bobby Roode's fucking career in WWE. He was the glorious one. He had an amazing fucking gimmick and they shit all over it. So as far as I'm concerned, i love to see Dolph Ziggler in NXT. He's not doing shit on Monday Night Raw. He won't be able to do shit on SmackDown. I think NXT is where he can truly shine and be the best asset to the company. Now, at some point, he should be NXT champion. And if he is going to win it, then he needs to be the guy to take it from Braun Breaker. That's what I would say. Whether it happens now, or at Stand and Deliver, or if Ziggler's able to convince everybody to, hey, let's put it on WrestleMania. Maybe that'll work. Or, if they're not going to do that, then maybe have Ziggler versus Ciampa for WrestleMania. Or put it on the main roster. Maybe, you know, because I don't think Ziggler and Ciampa are fighting at... Vengeance Day. Nope, I'm looking at the updated card right now, and that is not an option. So, I don't know if they're going to save it for Stand and Deliver. I don't know if they're going to do another uh, NXT event between Vengeance Day and Stand and Deliver. Or if they might just do something where they bring Champa to uh, Elimination Chamber and put the match on there. You know, maybe they finally call up Tommaso Champa and they have a match at Elimination Chamber. Or at least I thought they could, but apparently now they've got, like, two matches on the card card, or at least two Elimination Chamber matches on the card, I should say, and they got one for the women where basically... There's, you know, the winner of that match is going to face the Raw Women's Champion at WrestleMania 38, but I say if you need a match to throw in there, I personally would throw in Dolph Ziggler versus Tommaso Ciampa, because that match definitely needs to happen, and I don't know how long they can drag it out or how long they would want to drag it out, but I would definitely not want to see that match on regular NXT TV. I'd love to see it at a takeover or pay-per-view. Or, or, in this case, a pay-per-view, because they pretty much got rid of the takeovers, which is horse shit. So, that's pretty much where we're at with that. So, either way, let's see what happens. And, on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening, uh, if we want to call it that. Uh, Saray versus Dakota Kai. And... I guess we can call this a match, but it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Obviously, um, Dakota Kai was kicking Saray's ass for a good chunk of this match. But eventually, uh, Saray got her comeback, and then once she got her comeback... That was it. A sunray drop kick, a head and arm suplex, you know, one, two, three. Saray wins the match. And she's another one of those entrances where she's wearing like regular clothes and then she walks through the curtain, comes out, she's in her wrestling gear. So Saray is definitely getting a decent push. Uh Definitely got to whoop Dakota Kai's ass, which was very fun. And um, yeah, like I said, it's going to be very exciting to see where everything goes from here. And on that note, we cut to uh, Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes, that are at, who are at a barber shop. Trick tells the barber to hook up Hayes' goatee because he has a date. Hayes and Trick make fun of Cameron Grimes. They check his wiki, and there are no accomplishments listed there. Hayes vows to remain champion after Vengeance Day. Now, technically they're right... Because in WWE, Cameron Grimes has only been the million-dollar champion. But if you look at Trevor Lee, which was uh, Cameron Grimes' name on the indies, he's been on Impact Wrestling, and he's a three-time X-Division champion. He's a one-time tag team champion with Brian Myers who we all know as Kurt Hawkins and he won the race for the case in 2017. He's also a former Omega heavyweight champion, a former uh Heritage champion, a former Heritage, a former tag team champion in All-American Wrestling with Andrew Everett. He's been a Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion, a ri- a Rising Generation League champion, a tag team champion with Chet Sterling. He's been the television champion for Mid-Atlantic and then Pro Wrestling gorilla, he was a tag team champion with Andrew Everett. And he won the DDT4 with Andrew Everett. And he was ranked number 61 of the top 500 singles wrestlers in the PWI 500 in 2016. So Cameron Grimes might not have a lot of accomplishments, but Trevor Lee does. So Cameron Grimes is not to be taken lightly. Because I predict that Vengeance Day, he's going to the moon. And all I know, we cut to the backstage area with Persia Parada, who confronts Hartwell about Hudson, wishing her good luck. Hartwell says she doesn't know why he did that. Gigi Dolan and J.C. Jane mock Parada before showing a photo of Hartwell with Hudson. And the next thing I know, a tag team brawl breaks out. And the reason I'm throwing tag teams is I don't want people thinking that Parada and Hartwell fought each other. They still beat up Toxic Attraction. But I do like that they're planting the seeds for a potential breakup between these two women. And I talked about that before. Like there was a picture of Hartwell with Hudson. I guess they're friends or whatever. Or what is going on here? They're either friends or they're dating in real life. I don't fucking know. I don't I didn't dig that much research because I don't care that much about wrestling relationships outside the ring. Most of them I don't really care about, and the ones I know, they they just happen to pop up in my timeline. I happen to see it and be like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." But I don't go digging for that shit cuz I don't give a fuck. But either way, there's a potential breakup that can happen here. But that that should only happen if they don't win the tag belts next week. And on that note, uh, we cut to uh, Briggs and Jensen who are backstage. Uh, Jensen botches asking Kaden Carter out on a date. It ends up being a group get together instead. Briggs asks Jensen what the hell was that, and Jensen choked. Then he tried to give him money to take um, the other girl whose name I can't remember right now. Uh, oh, Casey zero Sorry, uh, to a movie, but. Uh, Briggs is like, this is like eight bucks. It costs at least 20 bucks a piece to go to the movies today. He's like, I'm broke, man. So here's the thing. I'm not gonna hate on Jensen for being nervous around women. There's a lot of guys out there who are. I myself have been one of them or was one of them for a period of time. But at the same time, at some point, for this storyline to work, he has to man up and get the girl at some point. Otherwise, this becomes an ongoing gag that nobody's gonna enjoy. So I'm hoping they put an end to this soon because it's taking up a lot of valuable TV time that could be better spent with these two guys in the ring kicking ass. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. The semi-final match in the Men's Dusty Rhodes Tag team Classic. Malik Blade and Idris Inoufé versus MSK. This match sucked. It fucking sucked. This was absolute garbage. MSK and the Spot Monkey bullshit. Malik and Idris doing equally as much Spot Monkey bullshit as they are. Now, granted, there are times where they know when to pull back, but apparently if Malik and Idris are not working with a team that specializes in ground game... Then they have to do spot monkey bullshit to keep up with the ultimate spot monkeys, who, of course, hit their finish for the win. MSK is advancing to the finals. And it makes me want to fucking vomit. Like, this is a travesty to wrestling, especially when Malik and Idris have been having great backstage segments. They've been doing prompt vignettes to get to know these guys better. What is the point in giving them that much TV time if you're just going to job them out to the biggest jokes? In the tag team division. It's like them and Jacket time. Fucking disgrace to the business. And now MSK is going to go into the finals against the Creed brothers. And I swear to God. I swear to God. If MSK beats the Creed brothers. I may just walk away from NXT. Or if I don't walk away from NXT. I'm fast forwarding through all the MSK stuff. And I will never talk about them on this show again. I can't. I cannot bring myself to watch NXT if they beat the Creed Brothers. If they bury the fucking Creed Brothers, it will be the most despicable thing NXT has ever done. And on that note, Toxic Attraction is making their way to the ring. Parada and Hartwell attack Jane and Dolan. So now Rose has to go to the ring alone. And we have our main event of the evening for the NXT Women's Championship. Mandy Rose defends the title against Kaylee Lee Ray. First of all, the fact that this match was not on Vengeance Day made it very, very hard for me to enjoy it. It did. I could not enjoy a single second of this match because all I kept thinking is, why is this not on the big show? But despite all of that, they still were able to put on a decent match. If I looked at it from just a wrestling standpoint, this was a very good match. That could have gone either way. Now, of course, Rose lands her running knee strike to get the win. And from the looks of things, you know, eventually, a toxic attraction hit the ring, distracted the referee. After the match, they set it to beat down on Kaylee Ray with her own bat. But then Io Shirai hits the ring and makes the save, thus pretty much cementing the fact that Io Shirai is choosing Kaylee Ray to be her tag team partner for the Dusty Classic, which now leads me to believe that they could potentially win the women's tag team titles. So this is now going to be an intriguing match, and it's making me start making me start to think that maybe, just maybe, J.C. Jane and Gigi Dolan might retain the tag team titles at Vengeance Day. I'm starting to think they might win, and then that way it'll set up Io Shirai versus and Kaylee and Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray versus Toxic Attraction. But the big question is. What's going to happen when Zoe Stark is medically cleared? That's what we need to keep an eye on. Because I'm sensing a heel turn from Zoe Stark. I got a strong feeling that's where they're going. Alright, that ladies and gentlemen will conclude this recap of NXT from February 8th. Uh, this is the go-home episode before Vengeance Day, and I'm very excited for Vengeance Day next week, but I also have to say this is the official end of the recaps. I managed to get through all three recaps of NXT. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to um, be more consistent in getting these out, but obviously I've been I've had a lot of crazy shit happening these last couple Tuesdays, and the Teese Tuesdays are about to get even crazier, but I'll be making that announcement on the next variety show that i do with elvis that i think will be coming out next week uh due to the fact that elvis is in puerto rico now he's supposed to be coming home either tonight or tomorrow um and by tonight i mean at the time that i'm recording this is wednesday night but he could be coming back thursday if he's not back already uh and obviously he'll be there to do the aw recap that's why that one's gonna be out a day later as well that'll probably come out friday assuming we're able to record on Thursday. So, but we're getting everything ready. We're getting everything organized and we're doing the best we can. But uh, like I said, now that we're on iHeartRadio, we are definitely planning on getting our shit together a lot more. And speaking of iHeartRadio, that is just one of many platforms we are on. So make sure you guys are following the Boochcast. We are on Anchor. We are on Spotify. We are on Breaker. We are on Google Podcasts. And now we're on iHeartRadio. So pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all five hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash TheBoochCast. We have archived episodes of the show, as well as great content. Now, granted, the promo code for this has already expired, but I did post this recently on the Boochcast Facebook page, Uh, Sunday, March the 6th, I will be in Orlando, Florida at Grumpy's Underground, located at 1018 North Mills Avenue, Orlando, Florida, 32804. And I will be there as part of the Rebuilding Buff podcast live show. And I will be the opening act for the show. So basically, I'm going to be the guy. uh, I'm going to be doing some stand-up at Grumpy's Underground. I'll be telling jokes, opening the show. And of course, headlining the event will be... Michael Long and Buff the Stuff Bagwell as they are doing their show, Rebuilding Buff. They'll be uh, telling stories, doing Q&As with the audience. We're going to have a hell of a great time. It's going down Sunday, March the 6th. From 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. we will be at Grumpy's Underground. So if you're in Orlando, Florida, especially if you're there for AEW Revolution, you can come on down and see us before the show. So you can come down and see us and then go straight to the arena for AEW Revolution. Hear the stories of Marcus Buff Bagwell as only he can tell them. You'll even hear stories we cannot tell on the podcast and answer your questions. And again, that goes down Sunday, March the 6th, from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. at Grumpy's Underground, located at 1018 North Mills Avenue, Orlando, Florida, 32804. And you can get your tickets at eventbrite.com. In fact, if you go to the Boochcast Facebook page, you will see the link to where you can purchase tickets. But I must remind everybody, the 10% off promo code is... Has already expired. So you can't use the promo code to get tickets, but you can still go to the link and order your tickets at regular price. Also, make sure you guys are following us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Also, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. We got a lot of great YouTube content on there. We have our uh boochcast reviews, dark side of the ring, archived watch parties, D one-shot, funny skits, holiday. Day videos. So make sure you guys Hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified so you'll know when new content is coming. Uh, we're still working on the last few episodes of Boochcast Reviews Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, some of them have been recorded. We just got to get them edited. But once I get the rest of them done, I'll be sending them out to you guys very, very soon. So be on the lookout for Boochcast Reviews Dark Side of the Ring coming to the YouTube channel. Go find the Boochcast and subscribe now. Also, make sure you're following us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next live wrestling watch party will be on Saturday, April 2nd, and Sunday, April 3rd for nights 1 and 2 of WrestleMania 38. Now... These will be separate streams. Night one will be on a stream by itself, and then night two will be on a stream by itself. So we're not streaming the entire day. We're only going to be doing night one from beginning to end and night two from beginning to end. So make sure you check it out. That'll be April 2nd and the 3rd uh, for WrestleMania 38. We also have our D&D show, which is coming out later this year. Uh, John and I are working out the kinks on that. And we also have a special gaming show coming to the channel. So we're going to be doing a lot of gaming on there. Uh, Elvis will be doing the majority of the gaming. But I have a particular gaming thing that I'm going to be doing soon that I'm sure you guys will 100% enjoy. So make sure you guys are following us on Twitch so you know when we're going live. And, of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support become a supporter of the boochcast, support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. There are three different levels you can donate at, all with prizes coming soon. Now the first round that you can donate at is for 99 cents per month. This level right here is for those of you who want to support the boochcast but don't have a lot of money to spend because you either got a lot of bills to pay or you're taking care of your families. One thing we ask here on the boochcast is that we will never Ever ever ask you to break the bank to support this show? We would never ask you to sacrifice an important payment just to give us money. So if you don't have money to spend, we respect that completely. That's where this level comes in. So if you can't help out, but deep down you really want to, our compromise is 99 cents. Not a lot of money. Just throw that at us every month, and uh, you'll be helping us grow the show while still taking care of what you got to take care of. Now, for those of you who got extra money to throw around, you can go to the next level, which is for four. Per month. That's right. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And if you want to really help us out, go to the third and final level, which is for a mere. Nine ninety nine. That's right. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription. Ever since it got sold to the Peacock, you've got nowhere to put that $9.99. So don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content in the Network. And unlike the WWE, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want want now once you agree to give this monthly donation you agree to be billed every month so you'll be paying this every single month until you cancel now you are free to cancel at any time but please know you will not be entitled to a refund you'll just stop donating that's how that goes now if you have any questions on cancellation you can check out their full terms On the anchor page and if you want more information on their privacy on their privacy settings of personal data you can go to their privacy policy i can tell you right off the bat we at the boochcast have zero access to your personal data. And we don't want it. All we want from you guys is whatever you're willing to donate. And at best, we might get your name if you donate. And if we do, the only thing we would do with your name is give you a shout out here on the Boochcast for being a dedicated fan and donor. That's all we would do. We have no interest in ripping people off. All we're asking is if you want to help us out, donate what you can so we can grow this show and devote more time to entertaining and informing. You. You. And the best part is all the money we raise for this show goes right back into this show in some capacity. We use it to upgrade our equipment. We use it to bring in bigger name guests, pay our bills, and take care of the guys who work really hard on the air and off the air to make the Booch cast successful. So if you got a favorite co-host and you believe they deserve to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the cast slash support is how you make that happen. And if there is any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest of the money to feed Zach ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall... That it's
2: time to bid you one and all Goodbye, goodbye, so long, so long Farewell, farewell, adieu, adieu Be good, stay well, bye-bye Keep warm, relax, and eat Take care, stay loose, adieu, you. i à la Proche and goodbye till when we meet again